are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. shine. Drinking coffee, seven o'clock at night. This could be dangerous. <laughs> oh well, my I needed coffee because I'd probably be sleeping by eight. Turning fifty. Me too. Week. I'll be texting you guys at midnight saying mm-hmm. I shouldn't have drank the coffee. Oh, if I drink after eight, I do. I can't sleep. It doesn't got an hour. Me. No. No. Oh, I could God drink it right you. up to sleep. I could drink it whenever. That's my dream. To like drink it? coffee all day long. Yeah. And at night? At night. If I drink this in an hour, oh, I want to be like you. Well, I do because of the caffeine levels. In the midday, I'll switch over to like decaf. No I don't believe in decaf. It. Okay. What did I just say? The greatest coffee I've ever tasted in my life is a decaf Americano from Generations. The best ever. It's the best flavor of coffee. By that time, it's like my midday drink. If I've had six cups already, it's the best. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't just drink it because it doesn't give me the caffeine that I need to get going. Wait, six cups? Not always. But it could you're... happen. I mean, for yeah. sure. In I a day get... or in the morning? More like three cups in the morning. But I've, I've drank six. Well, then, yeah. So I drank some decaf in the middle of the day if, just to... if I've had a lot in the morning. Take the edge off That's of things. That's amazing. It's so good. It tastes so good. You guys have to try it. All right, I'll try that. I don't believe in decaf. One of my... <laughs> yeah. I'll try it just for you. I'll say Rob One Shorts of the only things I ever me. wrote that was like passionate and good ever. I'm horrible at writing. Is a review anything. of the decaf. Was, I, put, I was so amazed with this decaf and I did a Facebook post, if you go back and find it, and there were people like, wow, you know... <laughs> Here's the, the best up, things I've ever like. said. Like, you can really write. No, I'm horrible at writing. But this thing just Until brought it coffee. out of me. Oh, you could be a foodie And then Rob's reviewer. poet. I could probably do that. More of a tour guide, though. Pointing things out. <laughs> I could talking. totally see you being a tour guide. I feel like you'd be a great tour guide. I, I would like that. That's probably my dream job. Really? Mm-hmm. Where okay, would you want to get people tours of? I can do it anywhere. If I was just confined to this church, I would tour them around. <laughs> and I would make notice of something like, isn't there a sword around here? <laughs> Where's the gone. sword? <laughs> I have the best story for the sword, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I could find a story all the way around here. Columbiana. I love touring yeah. Columbiana. So, I mean, people have moved here because we just decided to go for a little ride. And next thing you know, they're like, I want to move here. know. <laughs> Yeah, I just end up in places because I like people, you know, so like I could get sucked into anything. Like doing the Shine podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're such a good sport for this. I'm excited about it. This will be right up your alley because it's just stories. Lots of stories. Yeah, I love telling stories. It's treated like a tour here. Welcome, Shine podcast listeners. It's Lisa. Lisa? Oh my gosh. Wasn't it like a talk show? It was a talk show woman, Lisa. Wasn't it something like that? She had blonde hair, L-E-E-Z-A. No? Our bed mattress is named Lisa and Mark says, I love Lisa and (laughs) Eliza. (laughs) Oh man, I don't know what my bed's called. It's Kate. 
and it's Story Hour with yes. Rob Schwartz tonight. Welcome, Rob. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Rob was born in Cleveland, Ohio. He is not a Cleveland Browns fan. What are you a fan of? I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Oh, my gosh. Are you a football I'll tell the Clevelandites. I don't love football. Okay. But when I was young and we moved to Columbiana, Pittsburgh Steelers were the iron curtain. Like, they were the best. Oh. So my oh, yeah, dad, the Browns yeah, were terrible like, what, back the then. Bus and... Yeah. Well, my dad was a huge Browns fan. So we had this really cool rivalry at home. My mom would like back me and my brother like in betting against them. (laughs) So it was always exciting. But he's been in Columbiana most of his life. He moved here when he was a few months old with his parents and lived one year in Florida. So he's pretty much a lifelong Columbiana resident. We'll count it for that. He went to Columbiana school from kindergarten through 10th grade and then... I forgot about this. He graduated and spent his junior and senior year at Cardinal Mooney. What were you doing up there? That's when the strike happened. That's right. We had a sports strike. Yes. I was involved in that. My whole life in my family's life has been golf. So I was big into golf. I was a good golfer. And when that sports strike happened, my dreams of golfing went down. 1988. So I ended up going to Cardinal Mooney. Actually, my dentist, I was in my dentist's office and in his chair, and he said, Rob, he goes, if you go to Cardinal Mooney, and that's where his son went, he said, you guys will win state. And that was exciting to think about. There was a couple of different options, but Cardinal Mooney was one of them, and I picked that, went there. Sure enough, we won state. As soon as I get there, we, my junior year, we win state, state golf, state track, state football. And it was like the most exciting year I ever had in school. And then senior year, we won state again. It was fun. I made a lot of friends up there. And it was really cool because we won those state championships. And they had a big sports banquet. And they deemed me like Lucky Charma Cardinal Mooney. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) It was amazing. amazing. I know. Did you play more than golf when you say you won state and track and state and football? Well, no. Some of my other friends that had transferred. So that sports strike, if you remember, all the athletes left. All the talent went to other schools. So uh, a bunch of them went to Mooney. I went to Crestview for one day. Yeah. And then I was like, I don't even know who the freshmen and the seniors are. I'm going back to Columbiana. (laughs) So yeah, that really pumped them up. I mean, it's a great school, but it's definitely like a recruiting school. Yeah. It's a little amped up over there. It was amped up. I had no idea, but I knew when I was not really good in school. I never was. I would always do just as much as I had to to get by. So sometimes, like, if I didn't turn in a paper or do a certain requirement, a nun would pull me aside and be like, okay, we're going to give you a C because you have to get to that match. And I, <laughs> no so, way. yeah. You're going to write like, this uh, sentence on this, this paper. It was real important to them. The sports. <laughs> After Mooney, he came back to Columbiana, spent a year in Florida. What were you doing in Florida? Golf again. Since I was little, I always thought golf was going to be my long-term career. Huh. Both my parents were golf professionals, and we had a golf course, and I grew up at a country club where my dad worked, and I always wanted to be a golfer, and I had the best coaches and parents to encourage me and teach me in that. So right out of high school, I wanted to turn pro. And I did. So I got my my professional card, not necessarily a professional golfer, but a golf professional. So I was in the PGA and we were golf teachers. We would play in local events, but my goal was to work at different country clubs and work my way up and maybe someday get a shot at the tour. And then he came back to Columbiana. 
Yes, I came back. <laughs> Rob is an entrepreneur. Wait, did it not work out? You didn't enjoy it? Are you so, like So Lisa didn't tell you these things? Oh, we know. It was working out perfectly. At least what I thought was what I wanted to do. So while I was down there, my game was really good. There were some members of the country club that I was working at who wanted to sponsor me on tour. And that's kind of where you get your start. You're going to need some money to get out there and mm. basically practice as a job. So I had some members together and they wanted to, to back me. And I said, well, give me a couple months. I'm going to head back home to Ohio. My dad is the greatest golfer and golf teacher that, in the world that I know. I said, I want to go back, have him just sharpen me up a little bit. And then I'll be back down and hit the, the circuit that was down there. Came home which we'll probably come back around to this, but at that point in time, Lisa had been dealing with me going back and forth to Florida. Christian was already born, our oldest son. She basically said, you just can't do this to us anymore, Rob. Like, if you go back, don't come back here and just kind of let us go. I knew immediately, I was like, let's get married. I'm not going back. So all I did, I went back, grabbed my stuff, told him I wasn't, wasn't going to be doing this. And moved back home to Columbiana. And that's when Lisa and him got married. They've been married for 26 years. They've been high school sweethearts since 15. Yes. On and off and on and off and hot and cold and crazy. And right? No, I didn't write that down. <laughs> so apparently, you know, oh, I know Lisa. that. <laughs> they have three adult children, Christian, Alicia and Micah. And they also have three grandbabies, Aiden, Theo and Beck. Yes. Who are living in Springfield, Missouri. Lisa was on our podcast, episode 13. If you want to go back and check her out, if you missed that, she shares part of this story as well. I loved listening to Lisa's podcast. That was really cool. She was great. She did a great job. She was so interesting. Rob is an entrepreneur. He's a golf professional. He was a golf professional. You're still really good at golf. What's your handicap? Actually, I'm not. <laughs> you lost it all. I lost it. Totally. I've tried to go out a few times over fun? the last few years. It takes a long time, you know, and since I was good, you know, I want to go out and I want to play well and the pressure is really high because they're like, hey, this is Rob Schwartz playing with us and he won state championship and played on the Nike tour. Next thing you know, I'm like duffing the ball and shanking it. And <laughs> it's not the kind of sport that you can just, just pick back up and go play well. I mean, when I was playing well, like you're hitting balls for hours on hours a day. Rob's been a nursing home activity director. He was an owner of an assisted living facility. He's an operator, developer, realtor, and he's always got his hands in something. So what are you up to right now? The hardest thing I ever did was nothing. <laughs> it's really easy for me to jump into a lot of things. I feel like recently it's been hard to not jump into all kinds of opportunities because my mind's always racing. I love getting into conversations with young people about their ideas and their plans. In the last probably couple years, I've really enjoyed sitting down with the younger generation and just sharing some of my story and encouraging them and telling them a little bit about maybe some of the things to prepare for if you're gonna start a business. Love that. I am a realtor. Right now, I just work with friends and family. When I first got into it a couple years back, and I've been in real estate pretty much the last 20 years, kind of doing, buying some things myself, fixing them up, selling them, building houses. Real estate is really interesting to me. I love it. It was like 
it was a lot of work because, I mean, just having one client, I'm very into being the agent. And that's what we become as realtors. And an agent means you put someone else's interests before yours. It's really kind of hard to find. You know, realtors got a really bad name. But just to say this so everybody out there hears it, there are a lot of great realtors. After I got into it, I had the most respect for some of those realtors. Of It's easy to get into also, so you have a lot of realtors that, yeah, they might do it a little part-time. You can't do it part-time. Think about these are the biggest purchases a person will ever make with the most loved treasure they've ever had selling it. It's just <laughs> such a big deal. So when I do it, it's all in. If you need to call me at one in the morning, I'm going to answer my phone. This is how I am. So next thing you know, I've got all these clients. I'm going to do this thing full go, 110%. I mean, I, at one time I might have had 10 deals juggling while they were under contract or listed. Maybe another 20 buyers, another 30 sellers like in the wing. I'm answering the phone constantly and I have to. So I've realized that at this season in my life, and a lot of it with things that are going on just here, you know, in the last year or two, with my parents being older and other family members getting into new things, I really wanted to be available. So I didn't want to compromise that I couldn't give someone everything they needed. So I've just limited it to friends and family. To have to answer the phone and be on all the time, even on vacation. I don't know if that's the yeah. job for me. So and I think props too, with, to you. And right now, this the whole real estate environment is really crazy. <laughs> There's no time to delay. Right. None at all. Rob Sorry. took a few college classes. You heard him say he's not that fond of school, but most of his training has been on the job. Lots of golf education, senior care specialist. He's got an Ohio State's license and he's really smart. So tell us, Rob, who or what turned your light on? I got to say, I knew this was a question. You know, I've thought about it often. It's not hard, but when I think about that, so many people pop into my mind. It's just awesome. I'm thankful even just to be able to do this because it's brought so many good memories back. There's so many people that have been a part of our Christian walk. But hands down, there's a group of people that totally changed my life and just turned the light on in a big way for me. And that was the senior citizens at the nursing home I first worked at in 1995. So that was right after you came back from Florida, got married. You and Lisa already had Christian. Yes. Yes. So I come back and I still think, okay, I'll come back here and be a golf professional. So I hadn't given up the dream of golf. I had a lot of family connections here and I had the, you know, I had a lot of ends to pursue that further. And I was at my peak with being able to play really well. Come back and I'm like, okay, let's get married and I'll just be a golf professional here. Well, that didn't quite work out that way. When I was a kid and growing up, everything was golf. Basically, at this point in my life, you know, 22 years old, and all I ever knew was golf. All I knew was my dad went to work early in the morning, came home late at night. He worked every weekend, every holiday. And sometimes we would go and be there too. But these country clubs and places that you work at, that's when everyone else is off. <laughs> like the weekends and holidays. So the golf professional is at work. That's all I knew, though. I didn't know that it, there was anything wrong with it. And I still don't know there is, but it was a huge contrast to what Lisa had grown up with. Lisa grew up where her family and her dad was home 
every night for dinner, every weekend, every holiday. Total opposite. Mm. It was probably only a couple months after we got married, and Lisa's like, what did I do? <laughs> I'm like, you wanted to get married. So I've always been like the kind of guy that's just, I'm going to make it work. Huh. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it work. And ultimately, I wanted to be married to Lisa, and I wanted to be Christian's dad. I could tell it was a, there was all this turmoil, and she was pointing out some really good points, you know, like, you're never here. <laughs> and I was like... Uh, I didn't know that was a thing, like, you know, that I had yeah. to be. But I was with my family in it. She and Christian weren't really with me in it. We got to this point where very quickly it was like, we didn't think this was going to work out. So I said, I'll do, I'll do whatever it takes. And I was like, I'm going to go ask Lisa's dad if I can get a job at one of these nursing homes. He was a nursing home operator I really had no idea what I was getting into. I love people. I loved them working in the golf business, but I'd never really been around seniors and I had no idea about the business, but I was like, I just want to save my marriage. If you can just give me every other weekend off, I'll be able to go to church every other weekend, which Lisa was feeling drawn to do. And I'll actually be home for dinner. I would go home with most typical jobs that I would be involved in there, which was activities. That department usually shut down around 5 o'clock, so I could be home for dinner. That's what launched me into senior health care. And that's how I got, that's really how I got saved. I started to go to church every other weekend. That's a long story in itself that would take for me to go into detail with that. Lisa might even uh, said a little bit about that. Her mm -hmm. sister invited us to a church that was a lot more personal relationship with Jesus than I had been familiar with. So the, that door opened up where I was able to go and, and really hear the word and just be around people that had given their life to Jesus and they had their testimonies. And it was cool and I, and I liked it. But what I loved was going to this job at this nursing home. I could not get there fast enough every morning. I was like a sponge. My job was to, every day, there was about 150 residents, and my job was to go into the rooms for residents that couldn't come out and do one-on-one -on -one, like activities with them in their mm -hmm. rooms. When I first, they told me, you know, the first thing I was going to do that, I was thinking, you know, I'll try it. I don't know. And anyways. Want to play some checkers? <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I got like a cart, went down the hallway, room to room, and went in. And I think they wanted me to leave more than I wanted to leave. <laughs> I could not get enough. I would be in these rooms, and they start telling me their story. they tell me about their life and their kids and their job and about Jesus. They would tell me about their walk with Jesus. And I, at this time, I didn't really understand what that was all about. But all of it was kind of just in a big bundle of, wow, these people are wise. <laughs> they know so much. Every day, I couldn't wait to get back to work and get in those rooms and hear their stories. They would light up too because they were telling their stories. That's maybe why I'm, I love telling stories. I was a sponge and they loved having someone to tell their story to. So it was great. But I also, I could tell I was learning like all these things about life important things. And the one thing that was pretty consistent with a lot of these seniors was telling me about the Lord. I didn't take it like they were trying to witness to me. I didn't look at it that way at all. I was just like 
tell me more, you know? <laughs> like I said, they probably wanted me to leave more <laughs> than I wanted to leave. But hey, Grandpa, tell me that story yeah. one more time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so this one Sunday, we're at Columbia Tabernacles, where we were going at the time. And there's this altar call. It's Pentecostal, so I'd seen... And you grew up in the Catholic Church, I grew up right? in the Catholic Church. So, you know, I always believed in God. You know, there was this God, and he was awesome, and he created all this. And I never didn't believe in God, but I didn't know anything about personal relationship. And so we're at church. There's an altar call, and it was like these tractor beams grabbed me. You know, you've probably heard this. Mm. People say this a lot. It's kind of one of those experiences when they respond to that altar call. There was no getting out of it. I could not stay in my seat. It was impossible. Next thing I know, I'm like I'm hovering up to the <laughs> to the stage <laughs> and I'm standing there at the stage. Like you said, I grew up Catholic, so a lot of reverence and you didn't see things like that. But I'm standing at the stage, pastors praying over everybody and different people and walking around. And I I open up and say, you know, Lord, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And this is one of the first, around then there were some pretty wild things that happened, like experiences where it was obviously God. But this thing was out of this world. All of a sudden, a flash, he showed me every time he was there for me. It was supernatural. You could explain it. And I saw all these situations and instances where I used to like think I was lucky and I told my friends like because I was really I still am kind of dangerous like I like taking risks you know I'm a seven boredom is my biggest fear so it gets me into a married lot. to a one it gets <laughs> married to a one so it gets me in a lot of trouble especially with Lisa mm. I had a wild childhood and wild teens and I was wild right up to that point I'm still kind of wild but he showed me all these times he was there for me. And we won't get into them because some of them are like, I wouldn't even hang out with that guy anymore. <laughs> but it was undeniable that he had, one, kept me alive against all my efforts to basically get hurt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that happens. Incredible experience. Undeniable. Right away, you know, I'm on, I'm on fire. I want more. And this is on a Sunday. Monday book back to work. I get to this one room. I go in and nursing homes have two beds in every room. Most of them, or at least then they did. But there were two beds. And the furthest bed by the window, there was a lady in that bed who had been witnessing to me all along. She was one of the big telling me stories about Jesus and God and her life. I walked in the door, which was probably 20 feet away, and she looked across the room at me and she goes, you gave your life to Jesus across the room. I mean, I just stepped in the door. She goes, he is all over you. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? <laughs> so that was so incredible. Really, that was, that was the beginning of, I knew my purpose. God meets you where you are because as a seven, an Enneagram seven, if you know about sevens, I don't think he could have been cerebral with you because it, no. it wouldn't have done anything to you. But mm. to have that emotional connection and all of these times I've been with you, I think I just love that about God, that he knows you so well that he will reach out to you in a way that to all of us that matters and means a lot to us. Yeah. I mean, that's how my whole life has been. I have to learn it in an experience. I can't read about it. 
it just doesn't work like that for me. So I learn everything the hard way, <laughs> but usually don't have to learn the same thing twice. There's always something new for me to, to fix <laughs> or to get better at. So, so to our personalities, to deep down who we are. Yeah, um, he's the best. And your yeah. your yeah. journey, I mean, you have a wild journey. And, you know, you had to unlearn a lot of things from the way you were raised that was going to make your marriage and your family work with Lisa. How was the transition time? You can get saved, but sometimes it's another step to get healed and delivered from our past. What did that look like for you? Well, I don't know. I'm still in it. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I mean, I am still in it. It's just a lifelong journey. It's just, you know, I think about my relationship with the Lord and I think about my relationship with Lisa and it's been a roller coaster, but it's not a roller coaster that just keeps going up and down. It keeps going up and down, but every time it goes up, it goes up higher. And every time it comes down, it doesn't go as low. So it's like you're You're on this ride that just kind of goes up and down. And and both Lisa and I had a lot of things to unlearn. But the coolest thing, and really God figured this out because maybe he wouldn't, he could get anybody. So I can't say that. If he can get me and get anybody. But he put Lisa and I together. And at the same time, we were in the same place. One of the things that we're so thankful for is we came to the Lord and we gave our life to Jesus nearly at the same time. I mean, even within that year, a couple months anyways. So we've been on this walk together. I wouldn't know probably how significant that is, but because we've been in the church now for 25 years, and some of the times it's hard, and we've been a wreck, our relationship, many times, but the consistent thing is Jesus keeps saving us. He'd do that for anybody. But I think one of the extra hard things is when you and your spouse are in different rooms, when it comes to God or church or going to church, we were like, we were in the same car fighting (laughs) on our way to church, on our way home. But we were in the same car literally with our journey. And we were never that far apart from each other in that way. We've been going up and down together and we're really good together. Like really good. Like this Enneagram, it's good. It's real. You know, I like personality tests anyways, but I've never seen anything like this. When you read it, like people like to pigeonhole other people right. into You're things, right? You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to. But when you read it, like, and I read about myself, or Liz, even Lisa would be like, well, that ain't you. I'm like, that's me. It's undeniable. But the thing about it that I like too is it tells you like, I'm a seven, but like an unhealthy seven or like a healthy seven. Anybody out there just needs to read this thing. It's pretty detailed. And our goal, we've talked about this before, is to be the healthiest version of ourselves. Because whatever your traits or your personality, there's levels. You can be healthy, you can be average, or you can be unhealthy. So our goal is to stay in that healthy realm and to look at the things that make us unhealthy and and say, I don't like that. I don't. Yeah. A lot of people read their numbers and they're like, I don't like that about that number. Because you identify with it, you know? I think that's my favorite part about this one. It's not like some of the others. A lot of my traits are I'm outgoing. I like people. I like new things. So it's easy to go, oh, I like that. Usually you just hear the positive things of certain trait tests. But this one challenges you in a you better hate way pain because and avoidance you and... get to see the unhealthy side of type of person you can be or are. And that's when it's like, whoa, that is me. If you're honest with yourself. Right. Nobody else can really tell the other person who they are because people don't necessarily they see what you present. Right. And we all present what we want to present. Who walks around, you know, <laughs> trying to use their worst traits? Anyways, yeah, the seven one thing. 
if anybody does this thing and you look at sevens and ones, to see a seven living with a one, Lisa is black and white and likes to be safe. I'm a seven. Disciplined. <laughs> I'm a seven. And an unhealthy seven is a one's worst nightmare. <laughs> So Lisa's the best wife in the world. And that's not because she's nice to me, but a lot of times more thankful for when she challenges me and tells me there's some things that are black and white. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm like, everything is gray to me. And boredom is my biggest fear. And I like new things and new experiences and always want to top the last one. But in an unhealthy seven, that, that's a nightmare for not just ones, probably everybody. A healthy seven, it can be good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it actually, a one like Lisa, it, it works. Yeah. He definitely put us together with each of us having different strengths and different weaknesses. Because in this journey, best thing is usually one of us is down and the other one's like taking care of things and encouraging. And I like the metaphor that you're giving about the roller coaster ride because, I mean, it's not only life, and I think it's oftentimes representative of our faith, but marriage working from unhealthy to healthy, it doesn't look like straight trajectory. Whoop! It is up and down and up and down and up and down in an upwards direction. And, you know, even Jim Brown talked about that, having difficulty with alcoholism, finding healing in that, and then falling back into it yeah. and finding healing in that and the ups and the downs. It's just easy to feel like, oh, it's down. This is the end. I know for me, that's not if it. it was, if they were all on the ups, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> like mm. I would be, I don't know. I'd be in trouble somewhere because my You'd biggest. with a pina colada. <laughs> yeah. My biggest successes have come out of my downs. Finding out about myself or being able to, um, I guess the biggest thing is just being able to hand the situation over to God. Because mm. when you think you're doing it, you're doing something, but I've never done anything really in my own strength that was that was that good. I just haven't. But it, I've been in some really down places, and out of those places have come the best things in our lives. Mm-hmm. But it's only God. There wasn't it like a accident or you know I figured this out kind of thing. It was like while I was down, he picked me up, and I knew it was him. And it was always church family friends and Christians, and you know I gotta say for us. We've been in the church a long time. We really didn't come to have a church family and church friends till we were married. So we weren't just little kids growing up in the church. I always think about, pastor at one point said, the biggest success is if if you were in the church when you were young and you grew up in the church and you remained a Christian and, you know, you were what you think is a good Christian kind of thing. So I always thought, I was thankful that we were, we were saved in that sense, but I always thought, I'm so glad my kids are growing up in the church. You know, they're going to be so far ahead of us. But the experiences are so important. Like everybody has to have their own. Mm-hmm. And you want your kids to not have to deal with some things. But had I not had to deal with some things, I wouldn't be so sold out. Like To me, it's harder to believe there's no God than there is because he's the only one that has saved me from so many situations, clearly. I wouldn't know that, though, if I didn't get in them. <laughs> <laughs> he loves to show you. He does. So, Rob, tell us what lights you up. I like helping people, and I think it's more of a, well, one, I love seniors. So seniors light me up. To me, they just represent so much wisdom and information and just these really good things. Because at that point, when I've had so many seniors to be involved with in my life, thousands probably at this point that I've had interaction with, and they, in the end, I mean, they've had all this experience, 
I've never had a senior tell me there's no God. One, that's really cool. Like, I trust them. They've done it all. Maybe one hasn't, but out of the thousand that I've known, they have done every single thing that there is to do. I just, I love the wisdom that they have. But when no longer do I get to do that on a daily basis, it's kind of transitioned into generations. And generations, you guys know, is kind of a, a hub for us as a family. It represents Lisa Lisa loves little kids. She just loves, that's what lights her up, little kids, being involved in children's lives. And for me, it's seniors. There's been this ongoing ministry that we together take care of the orphans and widows and that kind of thing. So seniors light me up. But it's now, I guess probably because I'm middle-aged, I'll be 50 this year, it's connecting the generations is my like excitement. That lights me up. Connecting them and real estate plays into that because when I help someone with a house, it's really, I, I can see them and their family in it. I'm usually looking for aspects of that house that will bring them closer together. So Rob, how are you letting your light shine in this season of your life? I'm trying to do a better job with my like immediate family. You know, I don't know if it's because of my, well, I think it is because of my age. You know, you just start to think, well, I'm really more towards the end than the beginning. <laughs> but being available my parents are 84 and my dad's in really bad health right now. So I want to make sure I'm available to be with him and hear things that he wants to talk about. That's important to me right now. In any situation where I get to help somebody, friends and family with houses, you know, that just becomes a really important place for me. I guess to sum it up, it's missional business. So like anything I do that's business businessy if it's and it's going to create money but it's missional it's all it's missional and for me it's relationship so i'm missionally trying to create a relationship or connect people in a relationship oh, that lights interesting i mean we talk here a lot about going out transforming lives to transform communities and heaven in the workplace stuff we have a sunday school going on about that right now but what did you just call that missional business missional business i really like that term i was saying you know last time with laura like that's what we should all be doing individually but for business people that's a really neat phrase does missional business like what does that look like for you it's probably you were saying you're like you're all in you're 100 percent fixed on them can i help you yeah i think that is it i don't think about it a lot like that like in you know like checking the boxes off it's just i know it is that it's just it's more there's eternal things happening that it has to be anything that doesn't go that direction is not sustainable i at least that's my thoughts you feel like so you had a major transition because you sold with spring pines assisted living and you got into real estate, but do you feel like you're in a transition period and there's something else on the horizon? Oh, yeah. Because sevens don't like to be bored. That's why I, that's <laughs> why I think in the beginning I said the hardest thing I ever did was nothing. It's so hard for me to not go headfirst into every opportunity. Now, I've gotten really, I've gotten better at that probably in the last five years, but there's opportunities all around. And that's another thing. I'm good at picking up on those. And it's amazing the opportunities that we have around us. But you have a gift in that. You have a gift for business because I feel like there are lots of people who's like, really? Like, what are the opportunities? Well, maybe, maybe so that's really cool. You're doing missional business right now. I, didn't, I guess I didn't think about it when I was 
20 plus years in the senior living industry because I was doing it. Like I wasn't running around coming up with new ideas. I had new ideas within that context. Right. And I was able to do that. Right now, there's just this season in my life and space that I'm able to do that. And I do think, though, I know that there's something else coming, probably similar to what he did with me in the, with the seniors before, but it's just a season right now. Learning a lot about myself, and obviously this year has been crazy for a lot of people. It's been sobering and maturing to see, because I'm the kind of person that I think the best of everybody friends with everybody. If we get it on a plane and we go on a plane ride, I'm probably going to be in someone's wedding by the time we get off the plane. <laughs> and Lisa's trying to That's sleep man. and hitting me with elbows. And so <laughs> what this has done for me, which is kind of sad in a way because it's taken that fun out of it. but Isolated. Isolated, yeah, but not totally. And it's been kind of painful to watch people tear each other up. And this past year has been like two sides fighting each other. We're the same family. This is just a big family fight. These are the same people that, for us, some of the biggest things ever happened in our life is like we've got together with Christian friends and brothers and sisters, prayed over your kids together and prayed for their teachers and prayed with the teachers. Kids, we were praying over them. They really didn't know what was going on. But us, our hearts were just all bound together in that. And to see the same people that went over and helped you build like your garage or whatever like that, throwing shots, that just is wow. So I hate that. But what I realized is I also got to see a side of some people. That's what they think before I go, go hang out. Because I'll just, I'll be friends with anybody. But I also feel like it's given me a little edge on wisdom. Like there are some friends that edify you and some that don't. That was always a challenge for me to figure that out. That's a good word. (laughs) You know, do you know this? All the friends that have cared about us and have gone out of their way and have been there when our kids were hurt or sick or we were hurt or sick or there was something going on have been Christian friends. I'm not perfect and all the Christians aren't perfect, but I can tell you it's the best family in the world. And I still have a lot of friends that aren't Christians, but they don't show up (laughs) when things are hard, Mm -hmm. you know? Now I guess I'm seeing that a lot. When you strike up a conversation with somebody on the street, you're face-to-face, both of you are putting on your best number, your yeah, best traits, best you know what I mean? But what I think is happening, and we don't, we don't have to get into details, but everybody wants to be significant. People want to feel significant. And unfortunately, some of these venues have allowed them to feel like they are. They might, might really only have 50 real friends that they rub shoulders with or do daily life with. Not even. Did you say 50? Yeah. I would say <laughs> So, five. <laughs> okay, so some people might have five, but they Real have friends, but well, even they just, might have... yeah, the friends that came over and let's just say on a, from a Christian level, they maybe they prayed with them or they helped them in some way like that, that was like intentionally eternal or even friends that came over and their car was broke down and helped them fix it. Maybe they have, okay, so they have five to 50, but they have 5,000 people that Facebook has made them feel like they're their friends because they might have made the same comment. And that's sad. But they all open up themselves and expose themselves to kind of that thing that I usually don't see until later. And show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Was it my turn? Oh, okay. Are you ready? I think so. Last one. Oh, you're changing the question. (laughs) Well, I'll go back to the regular one. Is there anything else that you'd like to add Extra information, an interesting story, random stuff. Do we have like a week straight solid 
as I was, I guess, preparing for this, but thinking about it, so many awesome things came to my mind. Just like so many. I just enjoyed thinking about and remembering and all of a sudden remembering people and situations. But when you said like supernatural. Yeah. Oh, if you have one to share, I would love that. I guess that's, again, why for me, because like you said, Rob probably wouldn't have listened had it not been some smack in the face. So Hmm. I've had a bunch of those. I can't deny God or Jesus because he's more real than, than you and I just sit. Mm-hmm. I've seen some amazing things. I've been on like mission trips all over the world. I've seen all the things you hear about. I've seen people healed. I've seen m- miracles happen. This one, I'm just going to give you one that was really, yes. I mean, this is like, okay, so there's this one. We're in Uganda, Africa. I was there about three weeks and I work really well out of my comfort zone. Like God uses me well out of my comfort zone. We'll mm-hmm. put it that way. So I, you know, you're out of your comfort zone when you're in Uganda, Africa. And we would break up into teams and you'd go out and do whatever, you know, the team leader had assigned and figured out, well, I jump in this Land Rover with a doctor and his son and some armed guards, and we take off on, it's going to be like a three-hour drive on really rough, I don't even, you can't call them roads, dirt paths. And we go to this town called Butiaba, and we're supposed to go there to find out about a cholera outbreak and get some like information from this town because we're with this doctor. We get there not the biggest, but one of the biggest problems in that kind of country is communication. In U- in Uganda, is the size of Ohio, 51 different languages. Wow. So a little bit of an issue when you try to get the word somewhere, why you're going there. So we get to this little town. We meet with the mayor. I don't know what they're called, but it's whoever whoever's the tallest guy in town is in charge. That's how it works over there. You're the mayor if you're the tallest guy. They're very short I need to there. go to Uganda. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so anyways, I won't get into the other details, but um, here's the other thing. Like not only tall, but if you're really heavy, that means you have a great wife. So the heavier you are, she's feeding you well. That means that's a really big honor for for your wife. She's feeding you well. Never mind. I don't want to (laughs) go. So so we get there. Corruption's big over there too. We we show up and we're with the mayor. And some of his looked like his guards. And we had like two presidential guards with their machine guns. And they had their guns. And this guy was not cracking a smile. You could just tell he was not up to good. And he wanted to know what we had basically trying to get us to send certain things. And he was giving us misinformation, we could tell. We already knew some of the issues, the cholera thing. And he was trying to say some other things and wanted us to to give them certain supplies. We get out of there feeling like uh, we just escaped death. I don't know what they told him. Maybe, okay, we'll be right back with it. I don't know. <laughs> but we start driving away out of town. There were there were so many people gathered that thought we were coming to put on a medical mission. There were so many people. What they did was they went to this little shed, which was a schoolhouse, but it was boarded up because they're only open during certain times of year and they board them up. Basically, we stopped because this crowd stopped us and said, they're all here. They're sick. They need help. We're like, we didn't come down here to do anything. And there's all these sick people. So the doctor has this little black satchel. I mean, like a little black satchel. And he's like, I only have these couple bottles of medicine. There was maybe seven or eight bottles. And he's like, this is all I have. If they're sick over there, it's not. it might not even be a big deal, but it is for them. They could die from something that, you know, we just go over to the doctor or go to Rite Aid and get something for. Right. So they were very basic medicines. And anyways, he's like, you know what? We're going to go ahead and just 
take care of whoever we can until we're out of medicine. So we tear like the all these boards off this little schoolhouse, which is probably like 10 by 10, and tell everybody to line up. And there's a line like it's just so long. So here's what we did. The doctor set up. He'd meet them first with an interpreter. They'd tell him what was wrong, and then they'd pass him over to his son, who was kind of acting like a nurse and would try to do what he could. And then they would write down what medicine to give them. And I was the pharmacist. And I'm sitting there with at this wooden table with like seven bottles of medicine. I don't even know what they are. They all have a name. And he would write down, when it'd come to me, it'd say like two, whatever this name is, and one of these. And he's like, when they're gone, they're gone. They never ran out. They To the very last person, they just kept... I'm the guy like dishing these pills out of these bottles. And it, they just were endless. They were bottomless bottles of medicine. I can't explain it. I've got chills right now. I would open them up. They'd be there. I would give them their pills. And we gave everybody that was there medicine. So it like created... He created like fishes and loaves. And I saw that. So what do you do with that? This is impossible. But then we'd go back. So that night we come back. We were supposed to get back around lunchtime. Every night they would have a debriefing like at the hotel and all these groups would come back and all have the stories that were like miraculous. We get in. They'd already started that. Like people were ready to go to bed. We get back late at night because we were stuck there and we're just like, we're going to do what we can. We just, just kept going on and on. So everybody's sharing these miraculous stories. And that was only one day. Every day something miraculous happened because the faith level was so high. Yeah. There wasn't anything we didn't think was possible. He showed up every time, every time. I was thinking about that when I was driving over here. I'm like, Rob needs to lead some more mission trips. I don't say no to mission trips. Like Pastor Chuck just mentioned one uh, Sunday when we were walking out the door. Oh. That might just happen. You love missions? I used to like being out of my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so, it's time. And yeah, maybe something happens like that. I always tell everybody though, like those mission trips, I've been able to see it firsthand. And then with my some of my businesses, so into other people's missions. I think that's really why we go. I went initially for myself because I wanted to get out of my comfort zone. I wanted to see what the rest of the world was living like. And then I got to see that. Literally came home, got on the ground, kissed the floor of our house. So I do like that. But what I tell everybody all the time, they're like, I can't do that because I can't just move to Africa for the rest of my life. I'm like, it really doesn't work like that. It doesn't have to be like that. I think we should all know what our friend missionaries are doing over there and then be able to, if you're moved, to help them because it takes it takes a lot more people than just them. You know, financial support, prayer. Yeah. I feel more like that. I feel like I was shown what's going on out there and then I was given some resources to help people that do it full time. Well, thank you, Rob, for coming in and sharing some of your stories. We could yes. talk all night. Coffee's kicked in. <laughs> Rob has lots of stories. It's been great to hear your story, and we appreciate your openness and honestness yeah. with us. Thank you. It was fun. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.